The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, December 25th, 2014 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. So let's play a little holiday name that tune. The twist, baseline only. We have isolated the baseline. We, Andrea, has isolated the baseline from this popular Christmas song. You have heard this Christmas song many, many times, but it's just the baseline. Listen closely. Do you know it? What if I give you some lyrics? All right, here's some. The perfect gift for me would be completions and connections left from last year. Ski shopping. Does that help? The lyrics are weird. They seem written, but not necessarily ever rewritten. Here's another lyrical snippet. Calendar picture frozen landscapes chilled this room for 24 hours. Does that help? All right. Let us now isolate the most discernible part of the baseline. All right. Did that help? You could rewind this whole thing. It's a podcast. Rewind. Go ahead. Listen again. All right. Now we're going to give you the answer. Let us bring in all the other instruments. Here you go. It's Christmas rapping by the waitresses. Tracy Wormworth played that part. She was the waitress's bass player. And that is Baseline Christmas Carol. Name that tune. On the show today, one spiel about a Grinch origin story and one interview about drinking. So let us go to the Manhattan bar Hudson Clearwater to talk to the authors of Brooklyn Spirits. Okay, so here we are again in our geographically ignorant uh, locale because we're talking with the authors of Brooklyn Spirits, craft distilling and cocktails from the world's hippest borough, but we're talking to them not from that borough, but from downtown Manhattan. Here is Peter Thomas Fornatel. Hello, Pete. Hey, how are you? Good to be back on the show. And his friend and erstwhile bartender and writing partner Chris Wirtz. Hey, Chris. Hi, thanks for having us back. So last time you were here, we talked Thanksgiving because it was Thanksgiving. And now I think we should talk, of course, Feast of the Ascension. Feast of the Immaculate Conception. No, that's already passed. Let's talk Christmas. <laughs> What's it mean to you? What's cocktails mean to you? Uh, Christmas cocktails mean uh, alleviating a headache. Um, numbing the buzz of, I have 12 nieces and nephews, of kids banging into my knees nonstop. The new allergy I have to dogs that is so Oh, congrats on that, by the way. It's good that we grow as we age, yeah. Thanksgiving cocktail is about having, you know, a a nice drink with your family, uh, reconnecting over a nice dinner. For Christmas, it's, it's... purely medical yeah <laughs> it's it's the best uh, offense is a good defense <laughs> i guess right. yes right. yes so you gird yourself like the first couple are just putting on the armor and then the sec- last couple are putting the spikes on the armor so what do we got what what's our armor going to be this year peter well, there's a couple of different ways to go with a Christmas cocktail. The most obvious, uh, based on one that we have in the book, is to go in the, the champagne or sparkling cocktail variety. And there's a few different ways you can execute those to give them a little bit more pizzazz than your standard sugar cube and bitters. Yeah. So we should mention that we are at a uh, bar called, what's the name of this place? Hudson Clearwater. Love it here. I ate here the other day, and my busboy came over, and some, I asked him the time. And uh, showed me it on his phone, 
and I said to my dining companion, "Is that? Did he just show me like a naked, a nudie photo? Was that was that his home screen, a nudie photo?" And she was like, "No, it couldn't have been." And I was like, "Can I just? Not offended. I'm not saying you're wrong, but was that a nudie photo?" And so he showed it to me, and it was a uh, it was a Magritte painting, indeed of a nude. And then we got into a discussion of Magritte. <laughs> like, what a busboy! Love this guy. So. Our drinks menu is similar to, if not totally identical, to what was here last time. I got some ideas. I think we may yeah. be able to work with what they have here. I good. brought a couple of surprises. We good, might be good, able to good. come up with a couple of couple of clever things here. I feel in the mood for an old Cuban just because of uh, events in the news, but maybe that's yeah. not a good Christmas No, I, let's throw it in. Let's see how it performs. An old Cuban is aged rum. Rum's a good Christmas drink. Absolutely. Then velvet falernum? Velvet falernum. What is falernum? It's one of these things that folks have been uh, have been playing around making themselves lately. It's sort of an almond liqueur, as I understand it. Oh, cool! And it does have champagne, and it does have old fashioned bitter. So it really is. I think Christmas that's thing. the Christmas. Th- there you go. That, oh, yeah. that, that, yeah. Let's let's have that be the Christmas side. I'm going to work with one that's more of an after dinner drink that is actually uh, traditional in my family, and it's basically a drink called the Godfather. Yeah. And it's a mix of scotch and amaretto, but there's a bartender at a great place called the Long Island Bar out on Atlantic Avenue, Toby Chechny, and he has messed with this drink and uh, given some tips on how to take it to the next level. All right, good. Let's order a Godfather. And what's a Godmother? Is that with... uh, Vodka, I think, instead of scotch. So So vodka and amaretto. Vodka amaretto. Okay. The Godfather isn't technically on the menu, but okay. as long as they have some scotch, I've got stuff in my bag right here that we can make a Godfather. All right. Who is the Godfather of the Fornatels? The guy I always think of is my uh, my Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob is a, is a fantastic character. He's one of the few people I've ever met who uses the phrase bada boom, bada bing, bada bang without irony. And he's a great guy. Worked in the, the banking business for a long time. Love after a good holiday meal to enjoy a Godfather with him. All right, we're going to order. Let's get this ordering on tape. What's the name of the, the, the Cuban one? The Old Cuban. And then, uh, do you guys have amaretto back there? I believe so, yes. If you could make a godfather for me, ounce and a half scotch, uh, half an ounce amaretto, uh, and a scant half ounce on the amaretto. And then I'm going to mess with it a little bit at the table, if that's okay. Okay. But I bet your bartender knows a godfather. It's a pretty popular drink. Back in 1973. <laughs> I went to bartending school, and I f- I'm trying to remember. Godfather, there was like 12. Shoots, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there, there, there are pneumatic devices. Shoots through. assholes. Shoots assholes. And a godmother marries assholes. There you go. What and is that? What is the, how does that mnemonic work? Scotch amaretto shoots assholes. Oh, oh. That was it, yeah. Yeah, marries assholes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. You know, it says vodka everywhere yeah. I'm looking now. Who knows? Uh, I never went to bartending school. Um, you know, I... Bartending in the holidays was funny. I was um, when I lived in the city and I didn't go home. I would just pour drinks for free and I would do the most traditional things. I'd make a big batch of eggnog and some mulled cider, and whoever came in, I just pour some free cups of it all night. I didn't tell them ahead of time it was gonna be free. I would just be open and I'd ask people to bring some food in, and the kitchen wouldn't be open. And I'd say, "Help me, help me put a buffet together." So whoever showed up got to eat and drink for free all night. It was a, it was a Christmas miracle, really. <laughs> Uh, what do you think of eggnog? I have a fraught relationship with eggnog. Uh, I used to love it. Now it doesn't like me. 
Yeah, I used to uh, I used to eat the hell out of it every year. Just buy a gallon of it, sit in front of the TV, and drink it with a straw. Wow. <laughs> I had a particularly good eggnog this season, actually, with the secret ingredient being a Brooklyn-made liqueur, the Barrow's Intense Ginger Liqueur. Somehow adding that little kick of ginger to the eggnog made it uh, a little bit more down my street. It's a really spice-receptive beverage. You need to do something, otherwise you're just like basically drinking butter through a straw, which might have been your Saturday night, Chris. That I sounds, don't know. That sounds good. Could we get that waitress back? I wonder if they have butter. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger straw. <laughs> oh, I was sure you were going Brando there uh, with the butter reference. <laughs> that should be on Showtime. It's butter with a straw? Yeah, yeah, butter with a straw. Do you usually put a splash of what kind of liquor goes well in an egg log? you like that gingery liqueur? What else is good? Yeah, I mean, I think traditionally uh, some, some type of whiskey, right? Isn't it? Uh, it usually has some back. You, gotta want, you, want, you want some backbone, something to work against all that creaminess that's in there. Yeah, I used to make it with... Um, Brandy, bourbon, and rum. All three of them all on top, and then float some booze on top. Oh, and then, <laughs> and then some booze. <laughs> it's the holidays, man. It drives you crazy. You got to get pickled. You, you now, when they say float some booze, does it float or it sinks yeah. in? Yeah, it totally yeah. floats, man. Yeah. I mean, to the point where we used to, I used to work in a really terrible midtown uh, restaurant, four floors, huge tall drink get you souvenir glass type of cocktail menu and people always complain that our drinks didn't have enough liquor in it they say put some liquor in why i can't taste the li 151 in there put some they were all liquor there was nothing but liquor and, and syrup so we would you know fill up the straw with a bacardi 151 and it would just stay floating right on top of the drink so the first sip they got blew out their tongue blew out their heads <laughs> they serve strong drinks here and that was it <laughs> they ordered them all night long after that no no more booze in them the rest of the night yeah that was it they never tasted anything again that's the great thing about those places. Once you really, it doesn't matter if you have good discerning customers or undiscerning customers, but as long as you know what your customers are, you can always satisfy That's them. right, yeah. These, you'd rather have consistent, idiotic people who don't know what they want because you know how to trick them into thinking that's what they got than actually inform people. Your book is working against your customer base. Yeah, I, I learned that watching Marco Polo. Uh, know, th <laughs> know thy enemy. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the other... So it seems to me, not just your book, but like in life, uh, in, in, in the real world of people who like drinking, rediscovering the more basic liquors. Let's, let's rediscover rye. Let's think of great ways to make whatever it is, rum, or let's think of great ways to make whiskey, as opposed to maybe a 90s trend was let's invent some liqueurs and maybe put some gold leaf in them. Right? Is that, the, is that the trend now? Actual solid liquor as opposed to novelty? Yeah. You're absolutely right. And not, not that there's anything wrong with all those flashy gold flaked liquors of the 90s because, you know, I don't remember a lot of those days and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. But yeah, now the, people want to make these things from scratch. And ironically, the craft is going there because people are making things like mint schnapps and some of these other 90s staples. They're making them from scratch, which I guess is better. Because it's more expensive, so you drink less. You had uh, what's called Goldschnesia. That's why you can't remember. <laughs> yeah, that's, yes. right. that's right. Well, more than welcome Goldschnesia. I love those drinks, man. Those were, those were just uh, kick you in the head shots that would all sugar give you the worst hangover in the world. 
You throw up all different bright colors. That, and that's the Christmas spirit, really. <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we're talking about. That's why we're yeah. here today. So the waitress is here with our drinks. We have we have what looks like the Godfather on the rocks. And this Cuban, this old Cuban, looks great. Two little spots of orange on the top. What is that? It's a little bit of Angostura bitters floated in the, mar- the sort floated. of meringue. It really is floated. Are you, and you're not supposed to mix it in? The customer's supposed to mix that in? The blood of my people yeah. and the travel by raft to That's uh, right. escape the oppression. Uh, That's the Bautista regime there. That's the Bautista. That's, what that's they, it in a glass. That's blood, Bautista yeah. in a glass right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So Marco Rubio would be against this cocktail. <laughs> that I understand. Um, what, but what he, he, he stated as such. Yeah. He said he came out this morning. Doesn't like the old Cuban. Nope. Doesn't like the old Cuban. <laughs> Actually, that's who his base is, the old Cuban. Uh, so what do we have here, Peter? What do you reach into your bag and get? Well, we ordered a pretty traditional godfather from the bar, but I wanted to uh, follow the lead of uh, Toby Cicchini, the great bartender currently plying his trade at Long Island Bar and Atlantic Avenue out in Brooklyn and doctor the drink a little bit. And then I wanted to add a little bitters. We tasted some bitters the other day at... Um, a cocktail event that I really thought would be good with this drink, and I haven't tried in here yet. But they're smoked orange cocktail bitters. And then in this little uh, atomizer, I have some really smoky scotch to help bring home those smoky flavors even more. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take out my little eyedropper with orange bitters here, and we're going to hit the drink with those. And then we're going to take out the atomizer, and we're going to put it right into the glass and give it... Just two little spritzes, and we're going to give this one more stir, and there is our Godfather DIY Brooklyn cocktail style. Okay, so in the atomizer, is it a scotch so smoky you could never drink it? It literally has to be sprayed like banaca? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's Ardbeg. It's actually wonderful scotch to drink on its own. This is more of a this is more of a price point g- Ooh, issue. What you can good. do now is get uh, a, a blended scotch or a well scotch, and still use that for the base of your drink for the ounce and a half. And then you just get one little spritz or two little spritzes of the expensive stuff. So it just you know an Ardbeg drinker wouldn't take probably too kindly to using the the product in as the base of a cocktail like the Godfather. But I think they'd be okay with just one or two little spritzes. So we're trying to have our cake and eat it too here. Do do bartenders use atomizers? Do they? Oh, absolutely. Wow. You see the stuff in Brooklyn. Uh, Toby out at his place. Uh, th- th- this is the part of the drink that's stolen from him. Was That's what he did. He used a, a bit, very basic blended scotch, but then topped it with this. And then you get the smoky notes right away, and it takes the drink to another level, but you're not paying ridiculous amounts of money to get that effect. I love it. So that's Brooklyn for you. Except the ridiculous amounts of money part. They've embraced that a little bit these days. That's Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. Yeah. All right, let's try it. Let's try it. Let's see how it came out. That's good. I'll try. I'll try. That's great. We've been talking so much about the atomizer, the bitters. Yeah. The orange, smoked smoked orange bitters. bitters. What's this fella's name? We'll give him a shout out. Mm. Yeah, this is uh, we did an event with uh, Sa- oh, Savor so Magazine, uh, Savor Mag- Sa- Savor Magazine on Saturday. Highlights the holiday social and <laughs> they, they, sports illustrated for kids. <laughs> Maybe really mispronouncing it. I don't know. Savor, what is this? Savor. I say Savor. And Savor Magazine holiday social, and they had all these. Uh, they handpicked a lot of these cool artisanal products, and one of them there was Cocktail Punk from Colorado. They had their line of uh, bitters. And one of the most interesting one was these um, 
they smoked oranges with alder and um, made them into a cocktail bitters, and they're, they're fantastic. Really, I think it's a really good. sweet couple. I think it's really good. All right, here, here we go with the old Cuban. Now I'm doing the Cuban. First, I'll try it on the side where my lip will touch some of the mint, but none of the bitter, and then I will touch the bitter. I enjoy touching the bitter. That's the name of a good podcast. This is good. This is good. I, I wouldn't mind this on the rocks. I don't know that this needs to be in a martini glass. Maybe. How, I'm how do you like the velvet falernum? That's really good. Yeah, that's nice. Isn't I could see drinking four of those and that's <laughs> regretting why, it. That's why we're lifting the embargo. Yeah, that's what Cuba has to offer us right now. Yeah, although at these prices, the hundred dollar limit—that's only f- seven drinks without tipping. I wonder how tipping uh, factors into the hundred dollar limit. What do you think of the old Cuban? I like it. I like I it like a lot. It. I yeah. do too. I like it a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Peter Thomas Fornatel. Thank you, Chris Wirtz. You guys, you probably know this, but you're the authors of Brooklyn Spirits, craft distilling and cocktails from the world's hippest borough. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Thanks for the drinks. Thank you. And now the spiel. Such a Grinch. I've been Grinching it up this year. Saw the stage show of The Grinch, which featured the song from the animated special from the 60s. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. But why was The Grinch so mean? Why did he hate Christmas? This question is neatly glossed over in the Dr. Seuss original poem, here read by Walter Matthau. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. Really? Just Witness News wasn't buying this pat explanation. So we did a little digging, and here's what we came up with. Andrea, could you read our disclaimer right now, please? Oh, hey, hey guys. Um, everything from here, Mike just totally made up. Please don't get offended. It's, it, I just don't even, I don't even know where he thinks of this stuff. Seriously. Thank you, Andrea. So it turns out that Dr. Seuss did not invent the story of the Grinch. No, Dr. Seuss was a rewrite man. They brought in Seuss because the original had taken a dark turn. And by 1957, it was seen as unmarketable. The book had been languishing for years. It was pulled in 1947 when Gregory Peck's Gentleman's Agreement won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Societal values were evolving, and the old presentation of the Grinch could not stand. Because... Let's think about this. What do we know about the Grinch? He's difficult. He's grumpy, excluded from society, hated Christmas. Yes, in the original book, the Grinch was Jewish, explicitly, offensively Jewish. It explains so much. I now have the original text with me. This is what Dr. Seuss had to work with to expunge the anti-Semitism, but still retain a story of a pot-bellied but slim-fingered heathen castigated by a tradition he does not take part of. Oh, and he had a different name. You'll see. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But not Abraham Grinchstein. Oh, no, he did not. The Grinch hated Christmas. The whole Christmas season. He was a swarthy outsider, not unlike an Indonesian. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. Or that his holiday season had eight, not twelve nights. 
There was the fact that his heart was two sizes too small. He compensated at shul with a tiny prayer shawl. So he stood there with his dog Max, hating the Who's, thinking that Christmas Eve was not good for the Jews. He said all those Who's down in Whoville who have Christmas hysteria, I must now control them as my kind does with the media. So he snuck down to Whoville, tempting the fates, for he was loathed by the locals for charging usury rates. Let them call me cheap and chintzy. The Grinch didn't care. When he came to the first little house on the square, this is stop number one. The old Grinchy claws hissed. Now let's see who won't pick up the check cause he has a tight fist. Then he slid down the chimney, a rather tight pinch. But if Santa could do it, then so could the Grinch. He got stuck only once for a moment or two. And he said a small swear in ancient Hebrew. From the Grinch, no gift garnish or gigal was safe. He stole all the candy and food, whether kosher or trafe. And there shimmered the juicy roast beast on the table. Oh, to sop up the juices with bread. I said bread, not bagel. That beast once roamed the fields, clawed, toothy, and hairy. But the Grinch couldn't eat it. He had just consumed dairy. And he stuffed them in bags. Then the Grinch, very nimbly, thought, what a story for synagogue. Literally Greek for house of assembly. And none of the Who's arose from the ruckus. If they did, they would find they had bupkis. But then Cindy Lou rose, and Max thought, she saw us. The Grinch knew this shiksa could cause him some surus. So long story short, and it goes on in this version, eventually Cindy Lou and the Who's force a Grinchly conversion. It still has the part which Seuss never wrote about his heart growing three sizes. Wait a minute. Here, I have the quote. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. Yeah, that's what they say, but those aren't the facts. The Grinch in that story soon succumbed to Tay Sachs. Now you know the backstory, and wait till you hear how the cat in the hat once ruined the feast of Eid al-Fatir. That's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi produces The Gist. Goodwill Toward Men is her Christmas wish. Joel Meyer is managing producer of Slate Podcast, if you please. He marks his territory through urinating, defecating, scratching, rubbing, and biting trees. Andy Bowers is executive producer of podcasts for Slate. He just made it off the naughty list, I hope not too late. Subscribe to Yo! if you're a girl, woman, or male, or sign up for notices at slate.com slash gist email. Facebook.com slash slate gist is a site. Email us at the gist at slate.com day or night. For Christmas, I pray for peace, love, and patience, and that I may one day drop this Susian cadence. I hope the poem won't bring me censure. From the ADL, though I can handle Abe Foxman in a box, man, pretty well. Oh, I know that the letters are going to be blistering. Haters going to hate. What the heck? Thanks for listening. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. 
Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.